The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Thank you, Sir G, and it is so good to be with you this morning, though a little surreal uh, to be here live streaming from the streets facility, but um, we trust that uh, the Holy Spirit is showing up wherever we are this morning. And we were so encouraged last week to read the comments, uh, the live streaming comments, and, and even to see how many friends from across the country and even world uh, that were tuning in and, and being um, uh, participating with us when they probably would otherwise never have the opportunity to be with us. So, um, so welcome. And as we go to God's Word this morning, uh, we're going to Isaiah chapter 2. So um, I'm going to read the entire chapter, pull out your Bibles or um, maybe your, uh, your iPhones or iPads and get to Isaiah 2 as we hear from His Word this morning. This is the very Word of God. The Word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have rejected your people the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there's no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there's no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against that uh, is proud and lofty, all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up and it shall be brought low against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, and planted... Whoop, I think I skipped a page. Yet again, we're live streaming. Let me get there. <laughs> Let's try that sentence again. For the Lord of hosts, beginning verse 12, has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low, against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan. 
against all the lofty mountains and against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty when He rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty when He rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Pray with me, saints. Our great God, we thank You this morning that that You have much to say to us in our present circumstances. Thank You, O God, that You are not far away. Thank You, O God, that You are not somehow asleep or pausing Your work of goodness in Your creation. But You have real and certain purpose for Your people and for the world during these times. Father, I pray that You would open our eyes to them. I pray that You would indeed allow the words of this passage to become true in our midst. Oh God, may we let go of our idols. May they, be, may they float away from us as we anchor in the certain and sure foundation of You, our Lord, Jesus Christ, the One who lived, died, and rose again, the One who's coming back one day, someday, to make all things new and to end the very pandemic, the very viruses of the world, the, the wars of the world, the violence of the world, and bring peace and shalom forever. Oh God, would you lead us to that hope, even as we work through this passage this morning. Thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friends, that was the very Word of God. And let's say thanks be to God together. Amen. Tim Keller, in his book, How to Reach the West Again, uh, says this. He says, today's culture believes the thing that we need salvation from the most is this whole notion that we need salvation. I read that about two weeks ago, and it, it, it stuck with me as relevant to our world, but I wonder if it's relevant a couple of weeks later. I wonder how relevant it is for you and me 10 or 11 days after the, the assault that is the COVID-19 or coronavirus. I wonder if we're still as prideful. I wonder if we're still as confident in the work of our own hands, in our own control, in our own predictions of our future with our investments and even with our health and our life. I wonder if with this veil being pulled back from uh, just how not in control that we are if we are still saying that the thing that we need most is salvation from the need or the thought 
of salvation. I wonder if we're all maybe asking questions that we wouldn't be asking a couple of weeks ago. And what I want to do and what I think this passage does for us today is it forces us to look at the foundation of our belief system and everybody has one. We all have one. I think what it does is it forces us to look at our belief system and say, is our belief system holding us up? And I'm saying this not just to the non-Christian, the skeptic, the one who uh, does not receive uh, God's Word or the Bible as truth. I'm saying this to the church because this passage is, is, is directed to the church, not to the world. And so we have to ask ourselves, does our understanding of Christianity hold up in the midst of this pandemic? And I believe that what we see is that Christianity really does have an answer. And we need to hear that answer because we see it in, in the last verse of the chapter where Isaiah um, declares this. He, says, he said, um, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For what account is he? Stop looking to man. Stop looking to the things of this world, to this life, to men, because of what account of he in times when God rips away everything that we look to for security and confidence. But then he gives us the good news in verse 5, which is really um, a, a summary of verses 1 through 4. In verse 5 he says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What Isaiah is saying is there is an enlightenment to be experienced. There's an enlightenment to be had. There's a way of looking at God and the world around us that will hold up not only in this life but the life to come. And friends, that is utterly significant. The coronavirus, I believe, is testimony to the two themes of this passage. And I want you to know, this is a side note, but we planned to preach this two or three months ago. We did this preaching calendar two or three months ago, and yet I don't think we could have chosen a better passage because the two things that I think the coronavirus are revealing uh, are these, which are the exact two things, two themes that are in this passage, and that is this. Number one, that we were created not for a virus. We were not made for this. We weren't made for death. We weren't made for sickness. We weren't made to lose wealth. We weren't made to be hungry. We weren't made to lose our jobs. We weren't made to have to worry about our children and our, our parents and our loved ones and our community. We weren't made for this. We were made for flourishing. We were made for life. That's what this virus is showing us, and that's what this, this passage is showing us. And yet, we, what it also shows us is the reality that we will look to anything apart from God to give us those things that we were made for. We'll look to anything to give us life. We'll look to anything to give us meaning. We'll look to anything but God. And so God must intervene, and He must do His work if we are to believe. You see, God has created and redeemed His people to live dependent lives of worship, not independent lives of idolatry. Why? Because He's some narcissistic God, some narcissistic deity that, that needs to be worshipped? No! 
Because the only way that we can experience that for which we were created for, the, the life for which we have been created, is to look to Him and depend on Him and to find our worth and our meaning and our purpose and our life in Him. He is, we just sang, He is jealous for me. That's insane. Because I know my heart. I know some of my heart. And yet He is jealous for me. His love is like a hurricane. It's coming after me. It, it consumes me. It's violent in the face of my unbelief and my lack of love for Him. So real hope is found. All human suffering has a real meaning and purpose um, in Christianity. And that is to, let, to move us to let go of the things of the world that we might find our meaning and significance in the one and the only one that can give us life. So friends, here are some things, and we're going to go backwards. We're going to work through this passage backwards from the end of the chapter to the beginning of the chapter. Um, and so the first thing I think that, that we can do in the midst of this pandemic is, is see that this pandemic has the potential to convince you and me of our own frailty. Um, I don't know if you saw the, um, the, the, the uh, coverage of the beaches in Florida. I think it was Miami. Um, sorry, all you Miamians out there. I'm not, not, not ragging on you. It's just where I think the cameras happen to be. Uh, but what it showed were spring breakers, college students from you know, all over the world coming to the beach, doing what they do. And in the middle of, of just this huge crowd, there was an older woman, and, and the newscaster interviewed her, and she made this statement. She said, these young people think that they're invincible. Uh, well, friends, I can relate to that. Um, I, in my youth, I certainly thought I was invincible, and I wish I could say I left all that behind. Um, Thursday week ago, I was joining the crowd. I, I'm an Enneagram 3, and so in my Enneagram 3 drivenness was scoffing at the news reports. I, I was scoffing at um, those that were taking the coronavirus as serious as they were, and it took about 20 hours later for me to do a 180. I was humbled. <laughs> I, I was put in my place by this pandemic, by this virus. And since that point, I've been continually put in my place. I've been amazed at the fears that, I, that have arisen in my own heart over the last several days. Fears of concern over my loved ones. Fears over the concern of downtown church. Uh, fears over concern for my community as I drive past my favorite restaurants and their, their lights are off. Fears of, of the predictions of recession, depression, of um, a couple of million people dying. Fears, some of which are coming true. The chamber has already said 21% of businesses in Memphis have, ha have already had to fire people. Uh, someone, I, I could um, give three or four names of people that I know or know of that, that have the coronavirus. Folks, this is not something happening far away. This is in our neighborhood. This is in our, our, our very um, um, context. And, and yet, as we all struggle with these fears, 
I think we need to understand that the scriptures invite us to acknowledge them. Here's the worst thing that we can be doing right now, and that is to, to try to pass through those fears and try to, try to somehow um, negotiate those fears or somehow uh, just get so busy on social media or maybe turn to food or maybe turn to alcohol or maybe turn to, to Netflix streaming or whatever, turn to books, turn to whatever, turn to our work that we're doing at home. I'm hearing some people saying, I'm more busy at home working at home because I, I'm having to manage three, four, five, six, seven platforms and, and questions coming in. It, it's easy to get distracted, but don't. This is a tremendous opportunity for us to answer the question, for of what account is man? Of what account is man? That's verse 22. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is but breath and ask yourself the question, of what account are you? Richard Reeves has no control. I don't have control over whether my wife gets it, whether I get it. Oh, yeah, I can do things. I'm washing my hands like crazy. But at the end of the day, I don't have control if my grandchildren or my children or my loved ones get this virus. I don't have control over my 401k of what is man that you would regard him. Isaiah 40, verses 6b through 8, all flesh is grass and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Friends, I feel that during this time. I, in my reflection, as I think back on my youth, as I think back just a few years ago, when I didn't need to wear glasses, when I didn't have to have hearing aids, when I could run much faster, when I could lift much more, when I, when I could live with much more disregard, and yet I am but grass, and as the breath of the Lord is blowing on me, I am fading, and we all are. That's what the scriptures tell us, and that's what we are experiencing. Don't miss it. Psalm 103, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. What specifically is the root of your fear? Identify it. And then secondly, we've got to allow this pandemic to expose our functional trust. Tim Keller led a webinar Thursday night. I don't know how many of you watched it, but not now, I hope, but later, sometime later this afternoon. Uh, you, you'll get, I think it's on the Gospel Coalition website. But uh, he did a, a, a webinar, and he was addressing from a biblical, biblical perspective, and those of you who don't know who Tim Keller is, it doesn't really matter, preacher uh, who's now retired. He was in New York. He's one of the greatest thinkers, I think, of our day. Um, and, and appreciate his ministry so much. But, but he did a webinar, and he addressed, he started out by addressing the four primary um, thought foundations or, or ways that uh, men and women have viewed suffering um, through the ages. And he started out with uh, the karmic religions or the karmic thought. And he said their view of suffering is very simple. It's basically you get what you deserve. And in fact, it says that there is no unjust suffering. If you're wealthy, good. You deserve it because you did something great in a prior life. If you're poor, if you're sick, if you're dying, then you deserve that. 
because of what you did in your past life. So there's no unjust suffering. So basically, your response to suffering should just be to resign to it. Just to resign to it. There's nothing you can do about it. That's the karmic faith or the karmic religion. But then there's the Buddhist thought. And the Buddhist thought is really, it, it kind of denies the whole reality of the individual, and we're all just kind of in this pool of all soul. Um, but in uh, Buddhist thought, which was really originated to answer the question of suffering in, um, in humanity, um, it says that, you know, pretty much too, that we are to be compassionate, but the very root, the reason that we're suffering is we care too much. We desire too much. So just detach. Stop desiring. Stop hoping. Stop dreaming. Just accept. Just be. Just receive. Detach. Be compassionate to others, but detach. But then there's a third thought, and that, is, that comes from the shame um, culture. And the shame and honor culture, which basically says... Um, it, it kind of welcomes this time of suffering because suffering is the way that you prove your worth and you find your meaning. So therefore, I can suffer on behalf of my family in a shame and honor culture, um, and to the degree that I do, I'm honored. But to the degree that I push away from suffering and I, and I fight for my own individual rights, then I'm shamed. And so that's the shame and honor culture. But then fourthly is the modern secular uh, thought which really doesn't have any foundation other than this whole notion that we are to, um, modern people seek to um, avoid pain at all cost. Um, it's, it's the college girl that I heard on the beach that, that said, fear is no way to address this. So we are just going to gather and, and just ignore the fact of what's going on. And so the first three, you just really accept it, and the fourth, you just kind of not really accept it. You kind of ignore it. <laughs> you kind of just act like it's not happening. What I see, what, you know, what I refuse to acknowledge is not real, basically. And that's secular society. But then there's the Christian view. And obviously, as a Christian minister, I believe that the Christian view is truth, uh, no surprise there. I am biased because I've been convinced uh, that it's true. But what Christianity says is, no, we have a God who is reigning over our suffering. And, and we can't just blame him. Why? Because he actually entered uh, the world and suffered for us. There's no other religion that has God entering the world as man and experiencing the suffering and the loss and, and death um, like Christianity. Um, so we have a God who, who doesn't just say resign to it, who doesn't say, you know, resignation is the way, or does he say just detach yourself from it? He says experience it, acknowledge it. If you look at Job, if you look at a third of the Psalms, what you see are, um, are, are people who are acknowledging the injustices and of the, the, the curse of this life in one way or another. And at the end of um, Job, God praises Job. There's no man like him. And yet for like 40 chapters, he is indicting God. He's blaming God. But notice what he's doing. He is working out his angst and his real experience of suffering in the midst of prayer, in the midst of fellowship with God. 
Friends, we have a God that we can rage against. Don't move away from God in the midst of your suffering. Take your fears to Him. Oh God, why is this happening to me? Why have I lost my 401k? Why is my love, why, why am I losing my business? Why do I have to live in this fear of am I going to get it or am I not going to get it? Why do I have to have my children home for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 days? Why do I have to homeschool? Why do I have to be in this environment and in this circumstance? You have a God, I have a God, Christianity has a God that says, come to me. Don't detach. Don't just resign to it. But come to me. Why? Because he is working certain purpose. We see this directly stated in Romans 8. For God does, or works all things for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's what we're seeing here. In, in, in Isaiah chapter 2, we're seeing in, in real-time history, we're seeing the people of God facing the circumstances of their life and a prediction of a final day when this will happen. Um, and, and in those circumstances of all this judgment that God says is going to come, they're getting the taste of the people of God that Isaiah is speaking to because they are in exile. They have been driven away from their homes. They've lost their businesses. They've, they've lost their loved ones. They've lost everything familiar. And, 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 and yet still they're not turning to God. We should learn something from that. And yet we are in that same situation. And God says, I use these situations to help open your eyes to the reality of where life really is. Listen, verse 12, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. What is God doing in times of want, in times of pandemic, in times of suffering individually and in this pandemic corporately? He is bringing us low. Verses 17 through 21, And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Have you been humbled, or are you still holding on to your haughtiness? Have you been humbled, or are you still holding back from God? Are you still grasping for your idols? Well, the idols shall utterly pass away, and the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and holes of the ground. Uh, this is, this is it, it's eerie how applicable this is. We're all hiding out. Uh, we're hiding out from each other. We're hiding out in our homes. In, in that day, they're hiding in the caves and in the rocks. And from the splendor of His majesty, when He, arise, when he rises to terrify the earth, is God terrifying you right now? He's doing it for a good cause. Hold on. Keep walking with me. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats. Kind of eerie, he mentions bats. Uh, to enter the caves of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Isaiah speaks of a day when God will come against His people to shake us from the things for which we trust, the inferior idols, those things that we think we literally cannot live without. He is willing to rip them away from us 
because of his love for us. Dear friends, love is jealous. <laughs> love will go the distance to do whatever's necessary to win the beloved. That is godly love, and that's what he's willing to do. He will come against their, their, their most plentiful natural resources, he tells us, as we look at verses about 12 through 16. He goes against the cedars of Lebanon, the oaks of Bashan. That's, that's like taking the oil away from the Middle East. Uh, this is what they, this, this was their, uh, the, the center of their, um, um, their income the, and, and the center of their pride. He will come against their sense of security. He mentions fortified cities and walls and fleets of sheep, uh, fleets of sheep, fleets of ships. Um, easy for me to say. He will come against all the things they look to for security. And, and, and yet, why does he do this? To reveal the utter worthlessness of these things to give them the kind of life that they need. Dear friends, this is what God is doing. In, in verse 6, I told you we're working back. Let's go back to verse 6. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because... Why has he done this? Why does he attack their natural resources? Why does he attack the things that they look to for security? Because one, they're looking to something, practically anything other than God, for truth and direction. He mentions there in verse 6, they're full of things from the east. They're full of fortune tillers. They strike hands with the children of foreigners. See, this word full, they are full, they have plenty. They, they are gorging themselves on any message other than the word of God other than the truth of God. They're willing to live life. They're willing to consider um, any foundation that, that modern men can come up with or that ancient men and women have, have, have come up with instead of bowing their ear, bending their ear to the truth of the one true God. And then secondly, in verse 7, they live for and trust in their wealth to secure and breed life. Their land is filled, again, full with silver, and gold, and there's no end to their treasures. Is wealth bad? No. But dear friends, I almost dare you to find somebody, and you, you might be able to do it. I, I can think, I literally can think of some people in my life um, that, are, might, that are exempt from this. Not completely, but exempt from this. But you try to think of someone where wealth, where money has made them better. Um, I, can't, I can honestly say, I don't know that the money as God has given me has made me better. I think Jesus has made me better. He's made me better in the way that maybe I can handle my money at times. And yet, God comes against them because they are trusting their wealth instead of Him to be their security. Number three, verse seven, they trust in their national defense. Their land is filled with horses. There's no end to their chariots. Do you realize, I had to look this up, but the world spends $2 trillion, and I think that's pretty conservative, $2 trillion on national defense. And, and our country spends about $700 billion, so we're a large part of that $2 trillion, uh, which is evidence of our fear and where our faith really resides. Um, our land is filled with idols, verse 8. They worship the things they can purchase with their money. Uh, verse 8, again, they worship their work. They bow down to the work of their hands and to, to what their own fingers have made. And what is the result of God pushing against these, taking this away? They enter the rock and hide in the dust from um, before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. 
Friends, when we are exposed, when, when our idols are taken away from us, we have a natural proclivity to cover. Uh, we, we have a natural proclivity to do exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. When they, their eyes were opened to the fact that, that they were cut off from God, they began covering themselves as fast as they possibly could. Have you witnessed yourself doing that over the last few days? You've seen the stories of, of the senators that, um, that cashed out about a million seven of stock as soon as they understood what was about to happen to the stock market. <laughs> Fear. They were willing to even, uh, even be you know, brought under uh, legal scrutiny because they were fearful of losing the very thing that they were trusting. Friends, how have you done that? It's easy to cast stones. But how have you done that? How have I done that? What are we looking to? Has, has this pandemic enhanced our relationship with God? Or has it merely steeped us deeper in our fears and anxiety? Well, thirdly and finally, we need to allow this pandemic to drive us to real substantial hope. I think maybe more than any other time, and there have been some big times. I think of 9-11, I think of many other um, times in our history, but this is a unique time for us to really hear and see the truth of God's Word. You think about it. 10 or 11 days ago, if we had told you, let's say 12 days ago, if we had told you that every school in the country, I think there might be I don't know, five or six states that still have their schools open. I don't know what in the world's going on in those states. But if you would have said all the schools in the country would be shut down, the restaurants would be shut down, the churches would be shut down, practically the only thing open would be our hospitals, that the colleges would be shut down, that everything would be shut down, that we would experience about, I don't know, eight or nine, ten days of black market <laughs> if, if, you, if someone had told you that two weeks ago, you would have laughed at them, utterly laughed at them. And yet look at us now. What we read, what we have in the first four verses, really the first five verses of Isaiah, is a prophecy that is easy to discount. But I, I really believe that we can hear these words anew. We can hear these words because what this epidemic has done, what this pandemic has done, is it really has opened to our eyes that we are one world. That no one is immune. No one, the reason it's called a Nova virus is because it's new. There is literally no one in the world that has a resistance to it. You think about that. And that's why it's going to kill millions of people around the world. We are all in the same boat. We thought we were better than China. It was arrogance and pride of our leaders and our president. And this is not, I'd really wrestle with even to say it. And I'm not saying I would have done better. I was laughing too. But it was pride. We thought we were better than the Chinese. We thought our, our um, technology and our, our advancement as a culture would somehow protect us. It was arrogance. It was pride. That, that kept us from getting on this sooner. We, so we are with this, we are with the world and, and, and we are one with the world and we are facing this as, as a world. And this prophecy, therefore, I think we can relate to better today than we could even 10 or 11 days ago. Listen to it. 
It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Now, there were people chuckling in the, the original audience that heard that because we hear Mount Zion, we think, oh, this glorious mountain. No, it was a hill. It was nothing. It was nothing. It wasn't even a 14er for all you Coloradians and mountain climbers out there. Uh, it wasn't even a fort. It was nothing. It was the foothills. It was, it was a hill. And yet, why did it flow to it? Not because of the majesty of the hill, but because of the majesty of the one whose truth emanated from the hill. Uh, it's glorious. And all the nations shall flow to it. All the nations, I love this, shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. There are all these evangelists to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion, this little bitty unknown world and this unknown, unassuming people, you know, no one would have predicted this. It, people would chuckle at this prophecy. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Dear friends, can you dream just a little bit more? Can you let your heart go? It's what we all want. It's what we all dream of deep in the deepest recesses of our soul. A day when war will not be dreamed of anymore. As a child going to school worried about the bully in his class, that day will be extinguished. At the thought of being made fun of again and being shamed over social media, that world is gone. Much less the world where we're spending $2 trillion to defend ourselves. No, we're farming so that we can have a, a feast for not only our family, but our neighbors and our communities. Can you imagine a day like that? Friends, you can if you think hard enough because that's what you were made for, not the world that we live in. And this is the world that is promised through a new president, a new ruler, and his name is Jesus. You say, okay, Richard, now I can't, okay, come on, you can't. There is an identity to this ruler. It's not just a, a, a philosophy that the world embraces. It, it's not just a, a strategy that the world, it's not just a new book that comes out and everybody adopts. It's a person. It's a ruler. It's a king. And he is identified through the scriptures as Jesus. Jesus said this in John 12. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Do you hear that? Every nation. There are no borders. There are no border restrictions. All people will be drawn to me. Philippians 2.8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the fathers. All nations shall flow to Mount Zion because the Savior of Zion will be established on His throne in the midst of His world and the nations will be drawn to it. And we will beat our plowshares into... Um, our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Friends, Christianity is the only teaching. It's the only teaching with the power to bring real world peace. Why is that? Because the Gospels, the good news of the Gospel, what is being declared and what is being um, um, taught from Mount Zion is the reality, and Paul put it very simply, and that's why I'll use his words in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're Iraqi, you're you know, from Afghanistan, you're from South Memphis, you're from North Memphis, you're from East Memphis, you're, 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 you're Latino, you're Asian... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. No one comes to God on the basis of his lived life. No one deserves what he gets from God, the love of God and the forgiveness of God. No, all have sinned. And yet what did God do? He came down and he lived under the law for you and me. He was our representative. He represented us before the law. He, he stood under the law and He fulfilled it completely so that He could go to His Father and say, as Richard believes in me, treat him as if he is me. Friends, no one can make that up. That is too good to be true. And, and Martin Luther, an old histor uh, uh, theologian, said this, that simultaneously as Richard, even in his sin now, is being loved by God. And that is power to make me humble. That is power to, to make me grateful. That is power to make me a worshiper of God. But not only that, but Jesus came down. All, are, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet all are justified freely by His grace. You see what God did? He not only lived under the law for me, but He also was condemned for me. He was punished for my iniquity. We're going to see this in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. No other God, no other religion even proposes anything like that. But God has come down and He's been cursed for me so that I can be loved by the Father. Now it's all by grace that I've been saved. Therefore, I am no better than my Chinese brother, uh, than my Indian brother, than uh, my Latino brother. I am no better than anyone. And friends, that's why I have no reason to strike at you. And you have no reason to strike at me because I have sinned and yet God loves me because of the work of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is a message that brings peace and love. And that is why in verse 5, Isaiah says, O house of Jacob, come, let us live in the light of the Lord. And so, friends, it's my hope in this time that we will live in the light of the Lord, of the God of salvation. Would you accept Him this morning if you have never thought of accepting Him before? Would you consider giving your life to Him? Dear Christian, would you consider giving more of your heart to Him this morning as you turn from the things that have been exposed in your life, the things that you have really trusted outside of Him, turn to Him and get more of Him? 
and find Him to be your peace and rest. He is your retirement. He is your security. He is your fortified walls. He is your healing. And friends, if the coronavirus, those of us who are taken by it, we will be raised one day someday because Jesus is the resurrection and the truth. And friends, that's a hope that can endure any pandemic and any crisis that we will ever face in the history of the world. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you are a savior. You offer the kind of salvation that we need. And so may you utilize our present circumstance to bring glory to bringing many to the Mount of Zion. Would you bring many to faith in yourself that we might find that kind of love that frees us to love our neighbor in a way that we would never love otherwise. Oh God, give us our purpose in you. Open our eyes to your reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, I know that we've already said this before, but I want to say it again. This is a a time that we need to respond to the grace and mercy of God and to trust in Him and, and to give. Um, and so you can use our test, te how do you say, text to give. I'm sure it will come up on the screen. You can also go to our website, downtownchurch.com, and give there. Or you can mail a check to the address of the P.O. Box. I believe it's P.O. Box 3923. Um, Memphis, Tennessee, 38173. And I'm sure all that information will roll at the end. Uh, may God receive glory and praise uh, during this time for now and always. Amen.